By now you'll have heard or seen that I'm working with a new golf app called Tangent, who are also sponsoring this show. It's the smartest AI caddy in golf and is able to recommend not only clubs to hit, but target locations based on the math behind strokes gained and your own personal shot patterns. Unlike many other shot trackers, it also takes into account and adjusts for hazards that are out there. It has sensorless tracking with an amazing automatic swing detection that you can use with your Apple Watch or your phone without any need to buy any attachments for your clubs. And my favorite part, the post-round analysis data helps you immediately see where you can improve and gives you simple breakdowns that you can dive into if you want much more detail about your stats. It then links this data to recommendations and actual practice drills that you can use to improve. Getting measurable data for both on-course and practice drills makes Tangent one of the best game improvement ecosystems that I've ever seen. So download Tangent for free on the Apple App Store or at tangent.golf and use promo code SWEET30, that's S-W-E-E-T-3-0, for 30% off. So you'll get a free trial, and if you like it and want to continue, it'll give you 30% off a subscription. So just try it out, play a few rounds with it, and I know you'll love it. So that's Tangent, T-A-N-G-E-N-T, and enter code SWEET30. Welcome back to another episode of The Sweet Spot. This is John Sherman from Practical Golf, and as always, I'm joined by... Adam from Adam Young Golf. So today we are going to talk about in-home simulators. I think this is going to be a long-term popular episode for us because I've gotten a million questions about simulators over the years. I'm sure you have too, Adam, because uh, you have a nice little build you did yourself in your house. I just got a new one. And today we have the guy who did it for me. We have an expert. We have James Laidlaw from In-Home Golf, who's going to break everything down for everyone. I know there's a lot of confusion around this. The market keeps changing, but we figured we'd bring James in because he did an awesome job in my house. People have been following me on Twitter, have been angry at me because I've been posting pictures of it. <laughs> and it looks pretty sweet. And I'm not going to lie, it is pretty sweet. I'm very happy with it. So we figured we'd bring James on and share his knowledge with everyone, whether you go with a high-end company like him or, or want to do a DIY build. So James, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. Great to be here, everybody. Looking forward to it. Nice. So James hails from Canada. He has operations in the United States now, luckily two hours away from where I live. They're in New Jersey now and they, they build all over the place. You have a lot of experience in the simulator market. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and then how you started in home sure. golf? Sure. I actually started working for Golf Canada in the early 2000s. And I didn't get into simulators until about 2010 when I went to work for High Definition Golf, which is a company, a Canadian company that builds simulators. And I worked for them for about four years. And then I went to work for TrackMan as director of sales for their business in Canada. I ended that at the end of 2017 when I launched in-home golf. And I've been running it here ever since. Now, the reason why I started in-home golf was because I worked for two big companies that built simulators for people. What I was getting from customers wasn't what they were offering. So customers were asking me for things that the big companies just weren't providing. And in large part, some of them do now, some of them still don't. It's definitely a very expensive way to put your simulator in is to go through those big companies. It remains that way. Yeah, I think the changes I've noticed was that 
if you wanted to get like that really high end build from one of those companies, you could just go off the charts expensive. And then over the last four or five years, there's been a lot of DIY stuff that come came out and then installers like yourself who are kind of filling in that middle ground. Yeah. So I, I actually started with customers asking me, can you do this yourself? Like, can you do this outside of the company that you work for? And can you <laughs> See, right? charge me an arm and a leg? <laughs> yeah. So they don't charge me an arm and a leg. And I mean, that's where the idea of the business came, came about. And, and so when I left TrackMan, I just launched into this and now we design our own screens and we do custom turf applications and, custom wall applications. We do wall panels and graphics and all kinds of really cool stuff and everything from kind of the entry level DIY packages all the way up to full tilt custom build luxury home simulator installs. It's quite a range. There's quite a range uh, to be fair. I wrote an article. It must've been in like 2017. That was like a good guide on home golf simulators. And I tried to update it over the years and it's been on practical golf for a long time. And I've gotten like I don't even know how many emails I've gotten over the years. It's just like endless. Like the, the the desire for knowledge on this topic doesn't go away. And I saw this stat recently. It's from Straits Research that said that the golf simulator market, I think this is just the United States, was at $1.3 billion in 2021. Yeah. And they thought it was going to get to like over three to four billion over mm-hmm. the next decade. So and I'm sure you're seeing that on your end. It just keeps growing. Yeah, those numbers are huge. I don't know where that backup is from, but what I know is that we have a pretty healthy design build business, and we're a very small player in the scheme of things. If you add up the big companies, if you add up TrackMan, About Golf, Full Swing, Foresight, you know, HD, Golf Zone, like if you put all those big companies together. The number of simulators they install a year would probably turn your stomach. It, it just It's a lot. There's a lot of business out there. A lot of people want to do it. And we're filling a void that's, that's a little bit more affordable, but still custom. It's a big growing market and there's a lot of business out there for sure. Everybody wants one, right? Why wouldn't they? Like, why wouldn't you want to have a, why wouldn't you want to have a golf simulator in your house? Like, yeah, I think we'll, we're going to try and go through the different topics space cost launch monitors screens yeah. nets turf projectors sure. protection all that good stuff we got a million questions on twitter uh, a lot of them are about space to be honest mm-hmm. that's like the number one question everyone has it's the number one question i spend most of my days talking to people about is space every single time i talk with a customer it's always about space always if you can't swing a club yeah. If you can't swing your driver in your space, then you don't have a space. And until they invent a st- ceiling stretcher, you're kind of out of luck, right? That's a little bit of sarcasm thrown in there. But people say, well, what do I do? I only have eight feet. Uh, dig? <laughs> Move? Yeah. Like, that, what, that was the question I got on Twitter. Like, what do I do? What I do I do? I'm I like, only I, have I seven and a half feet. Well, I just flatten my swing. Yeah. Yeah. Adam, Adam <laughs> yeah. has that problem. You, you have to choke down on your driver. In, yeah. In your, in your yeah. Space right I, mine, isn't, mine isn't optimal. I've only got eight feet of space. And I, being a short person with a flatter swing, I can get away right. with it. But I do have to grip down on my driver. And I've got a little bit of plexiglass on the ceiling as well, just in case I nick the ceiling a few so, times I've done it. So, Adam, you're hitting on something really, really important there, right? And the truth is, if you can swing a club, comfortably no matter how tall or short or whatever if you can do it you can build a simulator in that space you can do it if you can swing a club is it optimal probably not right could do you have room for four buddies and golf bags and chairs and everything maybe you don't right it depends on what your intention is and what you need but certainly if you can build it if you can swing we can build it generally 
within reason because people always ask the definitive question what's the minimum height right yeah so let's start there like when when people get in touch with you because you can squeeze Mm -hmm. if you're using a camera-based launch monitor and you're using like a net and you're not going to use a projector like you could squeeze it at a pretty like what's like the minimum you think again it depends on how tall you are i usually tell people nine feet so if you've got nine feet most people can swing a club within nine feet i've seen some people clip a ceiling at nine feet. And I've seen people go down to eight, eight, six, eight, 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 nine. There's a lot of ceiling mounted camera systems, which have a nine foot minimum. So if you're using something like the Unicor QED or the IXO, which are very popular tracking systems, they have a minimum of nine feet. So if you don't have nine feet, those systems aren't reliable at that point. So if you're going in at eight, 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 nine, you're going to have trouble. So I usually tell people nine feet. Ideally, it's 10, right? Ideally, it's 10. Yeah. 10 feet is fantastic. I mean, John, that's what your ceiling is, 10. Yeah, luckily, when we built our house, we were given the option to do that extra room over the garage. And I had my sights on this long term. It took right. nine years. But yeah, I think the ceilings were just over 10 feet in there. And I'm only 5'8", so right. <laughs> there's, there's no risk of me clipping yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's funny. A lot of people don't think about this, but we we built a simulator in a golf club, a very private golf club that had a much older membership. And the ceiling was nine feet. And almost immediately, we started to get calls from them saying, people are hitting the ceiling with their driver. And I realized that as you get older and your flexibility decreases, you tend not to, like most people swing on their follow through, the club comes out to the back behind their head. But the older guys, if you ever go to an old, if you ever go to a club, see the old guys swing, they don't turn to their core and their arms come and their arms go up at the end. And so that's what we were experiencing there. We were seeing these these guys that were just a little bit older, they don't have the flexibility through the core. And the driver was actually ending up uh, almost vertical and clipping the ceiling. Ever since I saw that, I, I can't unsee it. Now, every time I go somewhere and I'm out at <laughs> a driving range, I see old guys swinging and that's just the nature of the beast. Yeah, I find that when I do a when I do a hold off release, so I got to be very careful when hitting fades and trying to hold off. And I actually worked my my release into more of a Tiger Woods esque rotational release, so it it evolved my swing with the ceiling height. Younger, more flexible guys tend to have a little more flexibility in terms of their ceiling height, for whatever that's worth. All right, so nine about feet. nine feet, yeah. maybe you can get a get a, away with it a little bit if you're shorter and have a flatter golf swing. Yeah. Now let's talk about room depth and the considerations there. Let's go to width, right? So Okay, go yeah, to width. So width. So, so we're looking at a screen, you've got height and you've got width. Now, basically the swing plane is as far left to right as it is up to down, right? With a driver, people swing on a swing plane of 45 degrees, which means you're literally from the ball position, you're just as far behind you as you are above you. Most people will go think, oh yeah, you're worried about ceiling height. Well, you have the equal amount of problems on the width. So if you want to have a center strike position, meaning the ball is at the center of the room and you're driving the ball at the center of the image of your screen, which is what all the simulators are set up to do. Some of them have offsets. Yes, but generally you want to, you're looking, trying to get a center strike. You need 14 feet. So you need six and a half feet generally for good clearance for a, a reasonably tall person and then another six inches for comfort. So 14 feet in width is a very comfortable minimum width for a center strike position. Can you be narrower than that? Yes, of course you can. Can you offset the strike mat to the left and to the right to accommodate different swings? Yes, you absolutely can. Is it ideal? Is it ideal? No. 
Yeah, and that's the situation. Like my room wasn't 14 feet wide. Right. So like I'm a little offset to the right, which to be honest, like hasn't been bothering me. I've been hitting balls in there for a couple of weeks now. And I'm just, I don't want to hit the wall with my driver. So I'm going a little bit right of center just to be safe. So I'm not thinking about it. Right. All right. So 14 feet. And let's talk about how the tracking technology comes into play. You've got a GC3. So you've got any one of those yeah. systems that is floor mounted and can be easily adjusted. Well, that makes it a lot that yep. much more easy for you to, to handle that. If you've got a ceiling mounted system that's locked down, well, that kind of movement left and right makes it harder. You know, there's companies like Unicor, which I already mentioned, their new IXO2 has a wider field of vision for the strike position. So now you can offset left and right wider just simply by having that kind of flexibility in the camera system. We've designed an electronic rail. We call it the slider. So you mount a ceiling mounted camera system to it. And with a little remote control, you hit the button and the thing moves left or right so you can accommodate a narrower space. Okay, so about 14 mm-hmm. feet for width. Depth, now we're going to be talking about radar versus camera and, and projectors so, and stuff like that. Yeah. Let's talk about depth. Well, there's so many options. But in my experience, I like to have the screen no closer than 12 inches off of the back wall. So think about this. You're driving a golf ball into this screen, and the screen's flexing. If that golf ball comes into contact with anything solid, it's coming directly back at you. So the safety is always the primary feature here when it, with golf simulators because you've got this little bullet that you're firing at ridiculous speeds in a very small space. So to me, you got to have a foot off of that back wall. And then I really like 12 feet from the screen to the ball position because I just find that that amount of space is a very comfortable position to be away from the screen. You can get a little bit closer. 11 feet's not bad. 10 feet's okay. Any closer than 10 feet, I find a little claustrophobic. And then even if you like being close to the screen, then you have to deal with your projector position because depending on what style of projector you have, you might be creating a shadow with your head. So you've got to incorporate whatever distance you choose. You've got to think about the projector that you have and where it's placed. And if you've got a lot of ceiling height, then you can get the projector up taller and you have a little more flexibility. If you've got low width, you know, low ceiling height and and less length, you're going to have a problem unless you've got short throw projectors. I mean, all this stuff has to be considered when you're putting it together. It's a real three-dimensional puzzle sometimes. But then from the ball position, think about you need a clearance of a swing of a club. So if you've got a room that's 16 feet and you're swinging in it, I don't think I want to stand in that room while you're swinging. It's really tight, right? It's really tight because of the backswing. So if you want to have your friends and family in that room as an entertainment room as well as a golf simulator, you've got to plan for that additional level of space. I usually tell people in a perfect world, you'd love to have 10 feet high, 15 wide by 25 feet long. Like 10, 15, 25 is a beautiful room. Which unfortunately is not yeah, sure. <laughs> deal breaker yeah, yeah. for a, a lot, lot of people. people. A lot of people don't have that. I got away with it for years. I had a net return yeah. in the corner of my room mm-hmm. in a much smaller space. So I would say as the DIYer, the net return, I'm looking at their site. They say 16 feet minimum. I think they're saying that to be a little cautious. I had the thing up against the wall and I was much closer to it. 
you could get away with a tighter space in a garage with that. Yeah. And what, I, what my workaround was, I was hitting in a Skytrack, so I didn't have to worry about radar mm-hmm. behind me. And then I connected it to an iPad or a TV behind me. So that was like my smaller space right. setup, which a lot of people can do in their garages or certain rooms in their houses. Most camera-based systems, you don't have that length challenge. And, and TrackMan, if I remember correctly, is they're recommending a minimum of six feet from the face of the radar to the ball. So if I'm yeah, saying 12, if I'm saying 12 to the screen, that's... 18 plus another foot for the ball plus the depth of a track man you're still at 20 feet to have a, a track man maybe 18 it gets really tight and again it comes down also to what your expectations of the space are if you're going to have four people with lounge chairs and four bags and a fridge and a bar and all those other things in there well it eats up that space pretty quick so expectation of the room is really and when i talk to customers that's the first thing right tell me about your size and then tell me about the vision you have for your space. And then we'll talk about whether or not the two are compatible, whether your vision is compatible with your space. In terms of depth, you don't, with a camera-based system like a GC Quad or GC3, mm-hmm. you don't need the space behind it. Right. And you don't need as much space in front of it. What is it? A quad captures maybe the first foot of ball flight. Yep. So effectively, as long as you have enough space that you can make a backswing, without hitting a wall behind you and make a through swing without hitting a wall yep. in front of you. You've got enough space. Now, whether that's comfortable or not, you know, you're going to feel kind of claustrophobic being that close to the screen. But, right. But uh, that's, but then can you, then option, can you right? get the simulator image offset so that you're hitting on the line where your ball is hitting, right? It depends on what your goal is. You know, a lot of people just want to get up in the morning with their seven iron and go ahead and grind and they don't need other people around and, and their simulator is for their own personal OCD working on their numbers. And that's great. I do that too. But a lot of people want to have that big space for their family and friends. You got to consider all those things. So whether or not you can physically make it work may or may not be what your vision of the of the space really is. So we always try to consult about that right out of the gate. But you're right. As long as you can swing a club, you can probably find a tracking system that fits. And there's all kinds of floor mounted systems now, right? Garmin, the full the swing kit, uh, and, oh. and yeah, the, the tracking systems, right? The Mevo Plus. There's all kinds of smaller devices that, that require less space. Let's quickly talk about, we could, I think, summarize the launch. Mm-hmm. We've done some episodes on launch monitors before, but I've done a ton of testing between all of them. And my instinct is that for most people, going the camera-based route indoors is going to be better. Yep. Skytrack is still awesome at 2000 bucks. I upgraded to the GC3, which I love. Adam has the GC4. Those are more expensive. Mm-hmm. You're talking about now you're getting into the seven, 8,000 range for GC3 and 1415 plus software for the GC quad. Unicor has made a huge push in this market. I know you install them. Mm-hmm. What are those like eight to $12,000, James? Yeah, like the, the seven, the QED seven, the IXO is 10 and the new IXO two is 14. Yeah, they're, so it's a Korean based company. Mm-hmm. They came out a few years mm-hmm. ago. And that's another camera brace, but then you'll need that nine foot. Yeah, yeah, you need nine foot ceiling right. for it, that. That's the only draw, and, and you need to be fixed in the same spot. Mm-hmm. So that's the only draw. That's ultimately why I didn't go with Unicor right. is because I wanted that flexibility in my room. Mm-hmm. If I needed to, I'm five eight, mm-hmm. so I don't have to worry about that back wall as much. But if I have a buddy coming over who's six two, I'm going to need to move yeah. the GC three over a bit, mm-hmm. and I, that's why I wanted that yeah. flexibility. Listen, Unicor, I, like I said, I've been in this business a while. And before Unicor came out, you were either into big price tags or you were into very 
low-end entry-level stuff. There really wasn't anything in the middle. And Unicor has really kind of hit that sweet spot for a lot of people. We move a lot of those systems. They're quickly, they've become one of the go-tos right in that middle range. There's no lag. They've got access to all the various software packages, GS Pro, E6, TGC. You can play all that stuff. So the course selection is amazing. The graphics are excellent. And the price point is right. And the data accuracy is solid, right? It's comparable. So you know, they kind of hit all the checkpoints. And I know that some of the big companies have been chasing Unicorn for a little while. For example, I don't know whether everybody's fully aware, but TrueGolf is coming out with the new Apogee. And I know I've been seeing some of their marketing. I'm not sure it's actually on the market yet. We have a beta version here, which we've been testing. It's going to go head to head with Unicorn. And Pro-T United is coming out with a ceiling-mounted system. We saw it at the PGA show this year. It looks like it's coming out in April. And it will also be competitively priced to Unicor. So in and around the ten dollars to $12,000 range for the camera system, plus software, plus screens, turf, everything else. Yeah, it adds yeah, up. Yeah, <laughs> it adds up for sure. But that's where the market is right now, in my opinion, is those systems. So I just, because most people don't have unlimited space. So a lot of people ask me this, like, should I get the Mevo Plus or, you know, the the new full swing? And these are all radar based, even the Garmin. They need a lot of space to see the ball travel behind and in front of it. And most people don't have that space. I know Titleist has those new RCT balls, which does help. It does. They do work really well, actually. In the installs you're doing, like, are you doing many radar-based installations? No. And most of, when you're talking about the Garmin and the full swing kit, most of that stuff is the DIY stuff. So we're not actually out there installing yeah. it. As far as radar goes, if we're installing it, it's probably tracking it. I would honestly tell most people, someone who's kind mm-hmm. of been through a lot of them, if you were going like the more DIY route and you didn't have a ton of space, like I would get the SkyTrack. The only downside of SkyTrack is, is it struggles a little bit outdoors. Mm-hmm. So the Mevo Plus would do better outdoors. But I used the SkyTrack for over five years. I was incredibly happy with it. It's very accurate. It has a bunch of software integration. So I'm giving them a free plug here. But yeah, I just think most people, like if they're using it in their garage, doing that smaller DIY setup and don't want to like spend five or 10 grand on a launch monitor. I still don't think it can be beat because it's portable sure. and you don't need much space. How many people do you think take it outside versus how many people buy it? Not many. Outside? Yeah. Not many. Yeah. I mean, I never, I took my sky truck outside once yeah. in the five years I owned it. So it, it's mostly an indoor. And even with my GC3, maybe I'll do some tests on the golf course with it just to see difference in spin rates between like turf and the indoor turf and outdoor turf. But that's primarily going to be an indoor. I don't go to the driving range and, and try and dial in my numbers like that as much. So. That's my experience too, is that mo- everybody wants to kind of have that functionality, but the truth is you don't really use it. Yeah. So, so I terms- just find a hard use case for radar in a lot of yeah, instances. Sure. It struggles. Mm-hmm. So in terms of depth, because we threw a lot of information out there, but I've got them in different categories. So if you don't have a lot of depth, you know, in front of you, behind you, then you're going to look to need something like a GC2, mm-hmm. a GC3, or a GC4, or the Bushnell has come yeah. out. Maybe a full swing kit. Unicorn is coming out with the IXO Mini, which is Mini, which yeah. sits a, sits like a GC3 to the side. Yeah, or so IXO Mini yeah. or SkyTrack. Mm-hmm. 
if you have enough ceiling height, then you can do a unicor, mm-hmm. unicor, however you pronounce it. Yeah. But yeah. if you have the depth, if you have a lot of depth, and I would say if you're going to be looking at ball flight as well when you're outdoors, mm-hmm. then you can use a Trackman, Mevo Plus, R10. But you'd need more ball flight effectively for that. Yeah. I mean, listen, we shouldn't be, we should really shouldn't be putting Mevo Plus and Trackman in the same sentence. No. <laughs> There's twenty thousand dollars in between the two. The price of a TrackMan is not for everybody, and there's a lot of people that like it and want it, but it's not for everybody. It's a, it's an expensive product. Um, speaking as a guy who used to sell it, I think the TrackMan is a fantastic product. <laughs> like it really is a great product. But I talk to people a lot about why TrackMan is so much more expensive than the other ones, and I kind of get to like, well, if you're talking to me about spin axis tilt, then maybe we can get into putting you in a TrackMan. If you don't know what that word means and how you use it to help you hit your seven iron better, then you probably don't need it. And you're probably not going to use that those analytic tools to their full advantage, right? They have some amazing tools in that product. It's really cool. But if you can't utilize it, it's probably not the best use of your of your money. Those launch monitors are going to be very good for things like launch angle spin, mm-hmm. ball speed. So they, they're going to get your distance correct. You know, most of the time they're going to be pretty good. But the thing you're saying, the difference between the lower end and the higher end, spin axis tilt. So that's going to deal with direction, curvature, things yeah. like that, right? Yeah, I mean, spin axis tilt, we can, <laughs> I don't know whether this is the right one to get into, into the details in here, but when we talk about spin rates, the ball physically only spins around one axis. So when we talk about backspin and side spin, the concept of the two different types of spin is actually incorrect. And it's the way people think about it. There's an axis point that goes through a sphere and the ball spins around an axis point. There's only one spin. It's not back or side. It's just one and there's an axis tilt. And I know just about every other system in the world calculates backspin and side spin. Honestly, I don't know how to use that, but everybody else does it that way. If you look at how a ball, how a sphere physically turns, there is no side or back. It's just one against an axis tilt. And that's directly relational to how the ball curves in the air, right? About how the ball flies through the air and how it banks. Like an airplane An airplane banks when it turns. It doesn't just turn. A, a golf ball is the same. It, it banks and curves slowly as it moves forward. Have you done any testing between like seeing the numbers between TrackMan and Mevo? I no. I'm not sure if you're able to say those numbers. but So the answer is no. The reason why I don't get into that is not because I don't want to, because I'm a bit of a numbers nerd secretly, but I don't want to get into it because it's really not the core of my business. And my business is building people's simulator rooms. And you can get lost in a rabbit hole arguing with people online about these things. And you can't convince people one way or the other. And I'm as much as I like these numbers and I get into it, I don't want to do it publicly. I don't want to be the expert in the field. It's a profession on its own. And I'll leave it up to the club fitters. I'll leave it up to the club fitters and those guys who are using it professionally day to day, which is not what I'm doing here. So I'm absolutely not a professional in that sense. I don't use those numbers in my day to day business. I try to build people simulator rooms that fit their needs and budget as opposed to being the expert in the technology. So I try to stay out of those comparisons. But I do have opinions. If you want to <laughs> ask me something specific, I'll give you my opinion. But my view on the cliff notes of like the launch mod you're deciding to mm. use is like there's more options than ever. And it seems like there's going to be keep being more right. options, which is a good thing for the consumer. But 
For most people, I would say if you're also like wanting to practice, I would personally veer towards the camera-based systems for the space and the accuracy because like the Garmin R10, we've talked about on other shows, like it can't get spin access right indoors. I hit it and it was telling me I was hitting a fade when I was hitting a draw. And if that's your only budget, like you have to take it with a grain of salt. Like the numbers aren't going to be as good. But there's expectation, right? There's expectation. You can't expect the $800 Garmin to compete with the $20,000 TrackMan. Exactly. You just simply can't expect that. You start with your budget. If that's what you got, here are the options that are that are within your budget. For most people, it seems to me that for most people, if you hit your seven iron and you see that ball go 155 to 160 with a slight fade, which is what my shot does, that's what my shot does. So when I hit a seven iron and I see that slight fade off the seven iron, I know hmm, this system's capturing my shot, right? And I'm a good enough golfer where I know I can tell what I do is represented or not represented. And then you can compare and you can get into the nitty gritty about whether you think the spin rates are accurate or the launch launch angles are, are accurate. In my experience, all these systems have a really good ability to capture ball speed. Ball speed is probably the simplest thing to capture. Clubbed speed is usually pretty good. The calculation from there to distance is pretty good based on air pressure and altitude and those other things. Like all those things are known factors. So most of the systems these days capture the basics pretty well. Spin rate remains one of those things that some do better than others. The truth is it's really hard to capture spin rate indoors over a short period. If you're using cameras, you have to be able to see something on the ball that can measure the spin. That's why some companies still use the marked balls. Those ones usually have fantastic spin rates. Some of them have, you have to put stickers on the club face so that they can calculate from the club face to the ball. Those can produce fantastic results as well. You know, and then you're going to get into that argument about calculation versus measurement. And again, I, I yeah, we, this we, is we, a quagmire. It's a quagmire. You don't need you don't need to get into those things. If you, if you pull out your driver, you could always go to our. We did an episode on this, so you could always check out launch monitors. Let's move on to other topics because yeah. there's a lot more to explore here. The one that I was always confused about, and I just left it up to you, James, to do it on, on my system properly because you have the right screens. If you are using a projector, the impact screen. People go on Amazon, they see one for 150 bucks, they see a more expensive one. Can you talk a little bit about what makes them different, like how to set it up yeah. properly? Give us give us a crash course in, in impact screens if you are using a projector, of course. Impact screens or projectors? Where are we going with this? Impact screens, because you would only use that if you were using a projector. Right. Like for Fair example, enough. for years I hit into a net and then just connected the mm-hmm. SkyTrack to a, to a TV. So I didn't need a, an impact screen. Impact screens are exactly that. You're hitting a ball into a screen. So it has to be durable. It has to be reasonably quiet. It has to flex properly so the ball doesn't fly back at you. And ideally, it has to look really nice so that when you put a projector on it, it looks sharp. And that's you know a little plug. In-home golf makes our own screens. We don't buy them from anybody else. and We don't sell them outside of the industry. The only Best screens in the business, they only come from in-home golf. <laughs> That's my little plug. But you can go on Amazon and you can go to a whole bunch of different places and buy one-size-fits-all screens at various sizes. If you want to get good screens or great screens, you're going to move up the ladder. You're going to go to the indoor golf shop to get that kind of really good equipment. Again, it comes down to what your expectation is on your price. If you're spending 100 bucks on a screen, it might not last that long. 
right? It's kind of like the same conversation we had about the Garmin R10 versus a TrackMan. Like you can't expect yeah. to spend a hundred bucks. So yeah. if someone was doing like the budget DIY thing and they just want to get it at the lowest price possible, it's probably going to rip in, in, in a certain amount of time. And yeah. the, the image won't be as clear and it'll be louder. Like what are you getting? We are going to take a quick break and we will be right back. We have an exclusive offer on one of my favorite golf shoe brands, True Linkswear. They just released their new Lux G Shoes, which is their first big release of 2024, and it is packed with a ton of features. The Lux G is available in both men's and women's models, and it combines tour level performance with a new fit and feel. You'll get the comfort that True Linkswear is known for with their Wonderlux midsole for a supportive yet comfortable ride. The Lux G is also fully waterproof with a two-year warranty, and they have designed it with their padded heel lock system to ensure stability throughout the entire golf swing. But they didn't stop there. True Linkswear always pays attention to the small details. There's padding on the back to prevent rubbing against your foot, an antimicrobial comfort insole, and the Lux G's come in multiple colors. Sweet Spot listeners can get 15% off the Lux G shoes by visiting truelinkswear.com and using promo code SWEETSPOT. Once again, that's truelinkswear.com and use promo code SWEETSPOT, that's one word, to get 15% off their new Lux G shoes. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. LinkedIn is not just a job board. It helps you hire professionals you cannot find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to a new perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. Also on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Just recently, they even launched a new feature that helps you write your job description, making the process even easier and quicker. And they know that small business owners like myself and Adam are wearing so many hats and might not have the resources to hire, so it's a great place to get help. Now here's what you can do. Post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. That's linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, volume is one of them, right? So I don't know if you ever guys ever been to those indoor golf centers where you hear the balls hammering on the screens and it's echoing yes. to the facility. <laughs> like that's just terrible. You wouldn't want that in your house. You wouldn't want that anywhere near you, right? The flexibility of the way the screen is mounted is part of it, right? Is it on bungee cables? How like how much space is there? Like how tight have you pulled it? How loose can it be before it starts to sag? All those things matters and it matters based on the material that it's made out of. Right. So the, the actual core material that it's made out of is a critical component. So our screens actually have two. We have two separate screens, a back screen that is a little bit heavier and a front screen, which is a little bit lighter, but it looks really good on the projector. So it's got a bright white finish. So I don't even know if you looked at yours, John, if you lo- actually looked under your screen, there's two two separate panels. Yeah, I poked there. around. I'll give you the plug since you did it. We're watching. I've been watching. March Madness and movies with my son and daughter in there and yeah. like and also with with the GS Pro is the software I'm using. Like the image is super crisp. It's nice. Yeah. And I've been on 
I could see the difference being on like lower cost ones and it doesn't make a ton of noise. The ball comes back to me nicely, but yeah, it was a more premium setup. Yeah. You don't want the ball kicking back and rolling past you. You don't want a screen that, that, you know, in three months has big, has a big saggy part in the middle. Now that is partially going to be whether or not you hit it with a lot of force, right? If you're a monster, and crushing balls at ridiculous speeds, your screen is taking a beating. It's going to wear no matter what you do. The harder you hit it, the faster it's going to wear. Yeah. And there are good, you mentioned Indoor Golf Shop. I know you guys announced a partnership Mm -hmm. with them. They've actually, I'm friends with the owner, Rene Delgado. Mm -hmm. They've sponsored our podcast. They're a great resource. We've sent Mm -hmm. a lot of sweet spot listeners to them and you guys kind of partnered up because they have like the DIY element and you have like the custom installation. And I know Rene has sourced those screens that they use as being pretty good. They're great. Yeah. It's just a matter of cost and expectation. You can make a budget one, but just know what you're getting into and just can't expect the same longevity and performance. There's nothing wrong with doing that. It's about setting expectations correctly. It's just like what you said, right? Yeah. And of course, how the screen looks with the projector also depends a lot on the projector that you get. And there's a a million different projectors. So there's a lot of options in that field too. So that's the most confusing thing to me. Adam, I know you did this yourself with your projector and your screen. You kind of, yeah, you have to... Let's talk about the projectors now because that's another one where like you can go on Amazon and buy a projector for 200 bucks or you can oh, buy the yeah. or the BenQ one as well at 50 am I pronouncing that properly 5500 yeah. 6000 bucks there's yeah. a massive difference then you got to get the right screen size like yes yeah. no <laughs> someone it, do that and we had that issue with with yours as well John I I got a video that we're putting out about your install talking about that so there's a number of things that change the price. One is lumen count, right? So how bright is your projector? And lumen count is the actual amount of brightness that the projector puts out. If it's during the day, John, you'll see this in yours. If it's during the day and your windows is open, that projector is still going to be really visible. It's not going to be like it is at night. At night, it's going to be the only source of illumination. So it's going to shine like a Christmas tree, right? It's going to really be bright and beautiful. And during the day when there's sunlight coming in, it's competing. So it does wash it out a little bit, but the more power, the more lumens your projector has, the more ability it is to rip through that sunlight and other light sources. So in simulators, you're generally looking at 5,000, 5,500, 6,000. That's kind of the range. Once you get up to 10,000, 12,000, the price of those projectors goes way through the roof, like crazy expensive. And whether or not the projector industry is adjusting to these demands, it'll take a few years. But right now, a 5,500 lumen, 6,000 lumen projector for a simulator is going to cost you three to $4,000. And most people are going to have to do a short throw projector because they just don't have the depth in the room. I didn't. So that's the next part is the throw ratio. So the throw ratio of the screen is really, really, really important because it, it determines how big the picture can be relative to the length of your room which is why short throw becomes such an intriguing feature in simulators. So a short throw basically means you can bring it closer to the screen and still get a big wide image. Some projectors have really good ability to corner correct, so you can stretch and pull and and get a little bit extra out of it, and some of them have less. The Optima HDR1080, which is a very common simulator projector, it's been around for a few years, it only projects in 16.9 and doesn't have a zoom. So you want to put it somewhere, you got to put it bang at the right place. Otherwise, you can't adjust it. Right? Where we've been using for a long time the Panasonic, the 51, 
I'm going to forget the actual one we use, but the Panasonic has amazing zoom and really great corner correction. So you can put it at 16, 17, 18 feet behind you and still get a 15 foot wide screen. So what's the difference again with these expectations? Like, let's say you wanted, let's say you only had a budget for $500 for a projector or a thousand versus the $5,000 one. Like, is it right. aspect ratio, quality of image, lumens? Like, what are you giving up? All of them. <laughs> your ability to corner correct, your lumen count, all those things. 4K is not an option if you're going to be under $2,000, really. I mean, maybe, but the Optima is 4K, but you, but it's only 69 and it's only at a specific size. So you got to get it just right. Now, there's literally thousands of simulator options. I know that sounds crazy, but if you, there's an app you can download called Projector Pro, and I think it costs $6.99 and you can get it for your iPhone. And it has, it lists all the projectors. And when you pull it up, it has all the companies from Epson to Panasonic to everybody that you've never heard of producing projectors. <laughs> and you can go in and look at the number of models. And there's literally hundreds and hundreds of models under each company. Like it's a staggering amount of, of information. So you got to kind of do some research and figure out if you know about projectors. How'd you figure out yours, Adam, when you did it? So I, there was a website that I used. I don't know exactly what the website was called, but I type. you could type in the aspect ratio that you need. So mine is a four, four by three, kind of unique. It's not widescreen. Projectorcentral.com. Yeah, I think that, that was it. Then you can put in, you know, whether you need short throw or you can go farther back. Obviously, I couldn't mm -hmm. go too far back because then I would be casting a shadow on the screen. Mm -hmm. So I had to have it. Basically, it's it's right above my head, the projector. And, you know, the way we swing a golf club, unless you're Matt Wolf, you don't get the club head right above your head. It's always laid off, you know, more above your back. I was fine with that. Yeah, one of the things those projector companies don't do is they don't tell you about people standing in front of the projector as a golfer. There's no website that I've found yet that actually takes any projector and puts a six foot tall golfer at 12 feet up from the screen and calculates whether or not you're creating a shadow. So we regularly, and this is true, we regularly get out graph paper. I just draw it on a graph paper. I go, my, screw, my visible screen is nine feet high. Golfer's at 12 feet. The projector throw distance is here, which says the projector company says the projector should be mounted here. And I draw a line between the floor and the projector and see whether and see whether a six foot tall guy is in the, in the middle of that line. <laughs> it's old school. It's old school grade three graph paper. I don't know what the math is called. It's pretty straightforward to do it that way. But you got to figure it out. You got to figure it out because because in my business, if we build a simulator for somebody and there's a shadow or it's wrong, people are like, People get upset about that stuff. So we got to know we do. That's what that's that's why you hire the professionals. The other thing I looked at was keystone correction as well, because I knew mm -hmm. mine was slightly offset. So, you know, if, if it's offset to the center, the image is going to be warped and distorted. And that is it right. The keystone correction is a yeah. thing that you can enlarge one side, yeah. narrow the other side so you can bring it back into. Yeah, well, but think about this. If you look at projectors, sometimes the lens is off to one side of the projector. If you're building it and not paying attention, you would put the mount on the projector and mount the center of the mount in the center of the room. Now your lens is actually five inches off centered to the room. So now if you don't have corner correction capability, you can't adjust for that. So theoretically, you should be measuring the distance from the center of the, of the lens to the center of the mount and offsetting the mount in the wall so the lens is centered. Well, I remember watching when you guys were finishing up, when you turned the projector <laughs> on my house, you and Mike were trying to get it right. 
And I'm not a technical person. I saw you guys working with it. I'm like, I'm just going to leave because this is giving me a headache. And eventually you figured it out. But it, it just it just showed me like if I was trying to do that on my own, I would have, it looked a little confusing to me. And people call me all the time with these issues. Oh, I installed this projector. Can you help me get the corner corrected, right? So the BenQ, you've got the ben, BenQ LK936ST. That's the projector that you have. It's the 4K version. It's a fantastic projector. In fact, I believe that it's the first projector actually marketed to the golf simulator world. BenQ is the first company that it's actually said, we're building this for golf simulators. It's actually a really great projector, but it has so many little ways to adjust and fuss with the screen that I wasn't that familiar with it. It, it took me a while. It took me a while to figure it out, but it, we got it. We got it. It looks really no, good. It, it's yeah. awesome. Yeah. We were watching golf in there, movies, sports with my son it, it's yeah. it's uh i've actually gotten more use out of it as a movie slash tv screen than simulator so far to be honest wow. with you that's great yeah we were watching a lot of stuff in there i did a little video of your project i'm gonna launch it up on youtube yeah and, and just to let people know like we didn't go with the 4k because oh. we didn't really have the width but the picture's still pretty damn good it's hd I said, so i, I know said some 4K. people want to know the LU is the the LK is the 4K version. The LU is the is the non 4K version. I'm sorry, you're right. I don't know the difference between. It's the, the same two. projector. You know, you'd be so hard pressed to tell the difference. Really, They're but really I remember close. you and I had a conversation because I was like, "Oh, should we do 4K?" And you're like, "It's really not going to work with the aspect ratio of your room because it wasn't right. big enough." But you told me it wouldn't matter, and you were right. Like the, the image is pretty crisp. Yeah. One of the ways I've seen around the issues of maybe having you cast your own shadow on the screen, the issues with keystone and where you place the, the projector relative to the screen could be, I've seen the floor, the ones where you mm -hmm. can have the, the projector on the floor and then there's a protective mm -hmm. box that goes over it. So, you know, if any ball comes rolling back, it stops it hitting the projector. What mm -hmm. are your thoughts on those? Because I did consider that when I was doing my, my setup. Anything that works in your room is fine with me. I'm not nuts about the idea of having a box in the floor that's interrupting the space between the strike mat and the screen. I like it to be perfectly flat. But if that's where it fits in your room and that's the way it works, then that's then so be it. Then you got to build it out. I'm not opposed to it. If I was building my own custom space, I wouldn't want to do that. But certainly, if that's the option, then it's fine. It's perfectly safe in the ground like that and easy, easily accessible. But it means when you putt, you've got this thing in the middle between the strike mat and the screen. Is that a better solution for a smaller room usually? It certainly can be. It certainly can be. Yeah. Okay. Honestly, why wouldn't you just flip it upside down and get it up on the ceiling, get it out of the way? D to me, I would just rather do that. But it certainly is a functional you can also offset them too, right? You can offset a projector to the side. We're doing one now where if you're a left-handed player, you're going to throw a shadow. The guy's room is low, lower than nine feet, but he doesn't have any left-handed friends. So he said, don't worry about it. <laughs> so we're going to put a simulator in with this projector offset to the right so that it would be right in line of a, of a left-handed person's head. Yeah, and, mine's you know, offset. It works mine's, is it? mine's actually right above where the ball is. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm not I'm not swinging the club over there. It doesn't cast a shadow. Maybe I, I think I get a little bit of shadow when the club is in the follow through. But yep. you're not even looking at the screen by that point anyway. So by the time you look up, the shadow's gone. It, it's never, ever distracted me. But yeah, with the keystone correction, it was okay. Yeah, that's ideal. Do we want to move on to turf options now? 
Sure. Now that we've sufficiently confused everyone with projectors. So there are a lot of options. I think if you're doing it in like, like I used actually the mat that Renee made from mm-hmm. uh, indoor golf shop for a while. So there's, there's some really good high end with true strike fiber built. There's probably four or five good options for like those bigger simulator style mats that have good turf on it. But a lot of people like the clean look of we ripped out the carpet in my room and replaced it. So what are the considerations for someone who does have the space and they're like, I want a flat? Because it, it was, a, to be honest with you, when I had the the platform thing, it was a pain in the butt. I was always reaching down for balls. So I was excited to get the flush surface. What are the considerations if you're looking to like go over carpet or take mm. carpet out? How, how do we think about that when we're playing? Well, I would never put turf over carpet. I would never put anything over carpet. I always like to, to cut that out. You know, what I really like is I really like a strike mat that is flush inset with the putting surface so that the whole room is one surface. So we've been doing these, we use a form of T-line turf, which is the, the ones you can just put a T into. So you can put a T anywhere you want and hit from there, as opposed to the ones with the rubber nub tees that come up through the bottom. I love that material because you can cut your own strike mat to your own size. So you can get a bigger piece and cut it down. I like to inset it into a floor. So typically what we do on most installs is we put down a three quarter inch dry core, which is a basement subfloor material. So three quarter inch right to the floor, right? If it's in a basement, right to the concrete. In your case, John, it would have been right to the wood floor and then cut out the piece for the strike mat, inset the strike mat. And then when you add the turf in, it all comes up flush. It all comes up really nice. That's my preferred vision. Uh, it's a little more expensive because you got to do the whole, you got to do the whole room. You got to work at it and it becomes a real permanent installation as opposed to just slapping a piece of turf on the ground. Like we have a product called the Pro Suite, which is just a piece of turf and a strike mat. And Indoor Golf Shop has a, has a similar, the SIG 10, SIG 12 frame enclosure kit where you just put it down. But those are just, those are just build it yourself, do it yourself, put them on the ground. If you want it properly installed and inset, you've got to take it a little bit further. Yeah, that it seemed that's where the cost and the labor gets mm-hmm. more expensive because mm-hmm. when your turf turf is not cheap, especially if you're filling a whole room with it, and then you got to deal with the. I saw the labor you guys did. You ripped out the carpet, you took out the subflooring, you replaced it with the foam and put it over it. It didn't. Yeah. Would you say that's one of the more expensive considerations you have to think of? Absolutely, it's labor intensive too, and it, t- turf's heavy and difficult to move. It's a lot of work to do it. In your case, John, we actually instead of using the wood subfloor, we put in that gym flooring, that foam gym flooring. It's a little bit thinner. It was a half inch instead of three quarter inch, so it was just a little bit lower, but worked a lot easier in your small space. A lot cleaner to put in, but it makes it a little soft. How is the putting, yeah. by the way, now that you've been in there putting on it? We were able to put two. It's nice. I'm be able. Uh, I'm able to do like 12 to 14 foot putts on there. Having the holes in there is, is pretty awesome. I'm very happy with that. I've tested a lot of different mats through the year. If you're going the mat route, like one thing I would say to people is that I'm worried about people's joints. Adam, I know you have fiber built, which allows some give. James, you have turf custom made for you. It is kind of like a what you get what you pay for type industry. Like if you don't pay as much, you're getting thinner turf and then your kind of joints are going to take a beating if you're hitting a lot of balls on it, correct? Yeah, yeah. And everybody's different. Some people like different styles. I really like the T-line at a certain density. It's really nice. That stuff that you've got is really good turf. But 
it is thick. And as you as you hit it, depending on where your attack angle and how steep you're coming in, you, you might need something softer. You know, the softer it is, the easier it's probably going to wear faster. It's a wear item, just like your screens. The more you hit it, the more it's going to take a beating. You're going to you're going to have to replace it eventually. Those are always considerations too. I mean, there's so many different mats out there. Mm-hmm. Like if you are going the mat route, like for a while I had the roll up turf from the net return, which was decent, but it's thin. There's not a lot of give to it. I think my attack angle has gotten steeper over the years, so I, I've I've looked for more comfort. I'm terrified of tennis elbow or golf yeah. elbow. I've heard a lot of bad stories about that. People just like beating balls on a mat in their garage for a year and then they just have this horrible elbow pain. So I would say to people, if they are looking to build a simulator, there is a difference in whether it's True Strike is a good one. They have those gel filled mats. I think Fiber Built is awesome because it's more of like that grass that you can dig into. The Sig Pro from Indoor Golf Mm -hmm. Shop, I had that for years. The insert is awesome. And they have a few different styles, but I think that's something where if you actually invested a little bit more in, the mat will last longer and you're going to have less shock on your joints versus like that $80 mat on Amazon. Like there, there is a difference there. There is definitely a difference. There's a reason why those ones on Amazon are the prices that they are because they mass produce them as cheaply as they can. And that's just the way it is. So you're absolutely right. I mean, my recommendation is always is get out and try it if you can. It's not always convenient for everybody to get out and try all these different types of mats. But if it's possible, you know, go to a local indoor golf center, go to a local golf course that has a simulator and try it out. Try out what they've got. See what it is. See if you can find one that you like. But it is definitely worth investing the time and the money in getting the right one. I spent a lot of time playing indoors. And I think I think I've actually adjusted my uh my my irons, I think I picked the ball a little more than, than maybe I used to for that reason. But certainly a better quality mat's going to help for sure. I went with the fiber built because the way there is, it's it's almost sitting on bristles. And so it's very easy on the joints. Like I've been hitting on it for three years. I've never had any any joint issues, luckily, touch wood. And it also, it does punish fat shots though, because I found a lot of mats that you hit on, if you hit behind it, it'll bounce up and the mat almost supports the sole. And so you can get away with more fat shots. And this is a big issue for amateur golfers when they're hitting on kind of a firmer mat, they'll start to hit the ball fatter just because mm-hmm. they can get away with it. And, you know, if you start to go one to two inches behind on a mat, that's probably better than being bang on the money to an inch mm-hmm. too far forward and hitting it thin. So people start to default the fat shots. Whereas with the fiber build, a fat shot will be punished in terms of you'd hit it high on the face. You're not going to yep. get that bounce up effect. So there are some disadvantages to it. It doesn't really feel as much like real turf, but I like the joint the joint protection and the fat shot punishment. How do you find the longevity of it? Is it wearing? I've three years and I'm looking at it now and it's basically like brand new. There's a little bit of discoloration on it, but it's almost like brand new. And I still have room to move it around on different parts of it and even flip it the other way. And because it's an insert, I can actually throw away the insert and what is like $120 or something for a new insert. So I found it good. Yeah. Inserts are always the way to go. I think the fiber bill insert is like two fifty now or something like that. Oh, which really? Is still, that much? Jeez. Yeah. Well, everything's gone up in cost the last three years in this stuff. And also, if you are struggling with tennis elbow, which is the outside, or golfer's elbow is the inside, I'll, I'll give a quick plug because so many people have emailed me about this. If you do get it from playing golf, 
Fit for Golf, Mike Carroll has an awesome episode with a tendon specialist. I, th- I forget what episode number it is on his podcast, but it's like 43 or 44. And they have these isometric exercises you could do daily with a golf club, which will essentially tell that area around your elbow to repair itself. Go check that out because a lot of people who do hit a lot of balls indoors eventually will wear out their elbows and it could be a really bad injury. And if you do these exercises, it could pretty much reverse it. So check out Fit for Golf, the podcast. While we're on that topic, Fit for Golf, the strike plan, the movement pattern that I recommend in that where the hands are working up and in through impact, that has been shown to be really good for shoulder injuries, golfer's elbow, tennis elbow, things like that. Because mm-hmm. as the hands are working up and in more, you're taking less stress away from the impact. It's, it's less likely to be jarring at impact. So plug for the strike plan. Little plugs. So let's get to the the big question. This is when I <laughs> I didn't want to start plastering dollar signs all over Twitter, but sure. when I posted you guys building it and the finished product, we got a pretty massive response and the question started flying in how much does it cost there's all different levels if you do diy like let's say you got yourself a sky track a decent mat like a decent net like net return or spornia i would say is another net that is really good it's like 300 bucks i've tested i think it's a really good budget yeah like you could make a decent simulator for yourself for around like that three to four thousand dollar region, I, I did it for years. I had my SkyTrack, I had the net, I had a decent mat, and I just hooked it up to an iPad or, or a TV, and it, and it worked great for me. So you can go the much lower end, but when we talk about like getting custom built stuff, you mentioned like HD golf yeah. and try, like when you go to those guys, you could cough up 60, 80 grand easily, right? Yeah, some of the some of the quotes <laughs> that people send me from the other companies always still shock me. A typical install through my company is about 40 grand. And that's a full system with installation. This is still very expensive mm-hmm. obviously, but there's there's different parts of the market and we have different like, you know, if you use the Unicore, yeah. So that brings the cost down versus TrackMan so, for say. I'll break down what we do for for $24,000. We do a that we call it the VIP package. So that's a custom screen, so custom cut to fit to your room. So that's not nothing standard or out of the box. Fully custom, dual impact screens with all the trim, canopy, side curtains or wall panels, uh, all the framing that goes into that. The room full of turf, you know, 15 wide by 20 long, so 300 square feet roughly, plus the strike mat insert, uh, 5,000 or 5,500 lumen projector a PC powered to match your tracking system, whatever the tracking system is. And of course, a 27 inch touchscreen, which is your interface to the whole thing. That runs about 24 grand for that whole package of all those things. On top of that, you need a tracking system. So again, we use a lot of the Unicore. So use that as an example, the QEDs, $7,000, the IXO is 10. So say you're doing an, an IXO, now you're up to 34 grand. You're going to add software. Right, the GS Pro software is five fifty for the lifetime license. E six is two fifty a year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, two fifty a year, two fifty a year. But if you want the lifetime license, it's a little extra. Yeah. Which just means that when you stop paying the two fifty, you get to keep what you've what you've got. Which to me yeah. is a bit of a benefit. I'd look at the lifetime license. But so plus the software E six, I think is twelve hundred dollars now to go with the system. TGC is around the same price. 
So you're yeah, I had TGC with my SkyTrack. I think I paid like eight or nine hundred bucks for the lifetime, which unfortunately right. I'm not using anymore. Right. But well, <laughs> at the time I thought I was going to use it. Put it up for sale. Yeah. Then you're about thirty five grand, and then plus installation, right? So you got to have a couple guys come to your house and and do the install. And then with us, that includes all the design work, all of the the drawings, and the, we do a three D model of your space and. And all that consultation, we'll work with your builders through the whole process if you've got builders. If you're retrofitting it in, we'll we'll work with you to get it done right. So that's kind of the basics of it. And then you can go up and down from there. You want to add contoured rough. You want to have, you know, graphic wall panels, all kinds of really cool stuff you can do. You can get crazy. But if you want to bring it down the other way, you go to the one-size-fits-all enclosures, right? Like the SIG series or the Pro Suite. That takes a huge amount of time and effort off of our end. If it's not custom, if it's stock, it's a lot easier just to pull it out of a warehouse as opposed to yeah, there's, custom making it. There's pre-made stuff like Indoor Golf Shop, which is your partner mm-hmm. now. They sell their SkyTrack SIG 10 package mm-hmm. for 8200 bucks now. So you get pretty much... Yeah, everything you need in a box, the projector, the enclosure, the mat, and it's just kind of like cookie cutter. It works. And you could put that in your garage or the space and they have all the dimensions on there. That works. Adam, what do you think? I know it's been a few years, but you kind of did something in between sourced everything yourself. Like, what do you think you spent outside of your GC quad? To get your system, yeah, out. I actually typed it out. It was about the whole thing for me, and it, people can go on my Instagram, Adam Young dot golf, and have a look at the simulator. I do some some visuals on there. It was twenty two thousand for the whole build, and eighteen thousand of that was the tracking system, the GC quad. <laughs> so for me, it was actually about four thousand dollars. I just, you know, I bought some turf off Amazon, some grass off Amazon. I think it was about five hundred for the mat. Maybe it was a little bit more for the mat. The projector was about a thousand dollars. I had the what Optima, projector? What projector are you using? Yeah, the 1080, uh, the HDR 1080. 1080 yeah, HDR, yeah. yeah. Yeah, around about $1,000 for the PC and then $1,000 for a premium screen with the mini enclosure on it. So I stopped some sky shots. Luckily, I haven't had a sky shot, but <laughs> I did it really low budget. <laughs> There's ways to get it done, and you can spend the time doing all the research and picking it out yourself. I mean, at the end of the day, and I'm not, I haven't seen your setup, Adam, is it if you spent more money, would you expect it to be bigger and, and brighter and have all the other features? Because there's something to that building it out in a more robust fashion, which makes it nicer. Yeah, I mean, if I was, uh, because for me, it was just about content creation and it was only the goal of, you know, swinging a few irons in there and showing people how things work, doing some instruction, not per in-person instruction, but just, right. you know, online instruction. So I just needed to fit that. But yeah, if I was doing it, you know, at least having lessons coming in as well, then I'd want it much more robust, yeah. And you know, it's, it was very difficult getting the, the whole projector stuff. That's yeah. that's worth hiring it out just for that. There so. is no <laughs> chance. Like I'll, <laughs> I am. We we had some text conversations about this Adam, probably a couple of years ago. Like when it comes to, I'm good with technology and online stuff. I've done okay there. But when it comes to building something and DIY, where there has to be like an element of handiness and and I literally couldn't even conceive of this so yeah what did james do i measured the room we had a 3d modeling we went through all the options Mm -hmm. they came in prepared with all the stuff and they knocked it out probably would have taken you less than a day in most instances you were done by noon on the on the second day and it looks i'll post some pictures of it like it 
it's one of those like dream scenarios I have in my house now. I feel right. like I feel like bad showing some people because it doesn't feel real in my house. It's pretty amazing, but obviously it was a much bigger investment because I'm paying for the labor. They traveled out to the house, they did all the planning, all the better better projector, better turf, all the, the the cushioning they put up on the ceiling and the sides. There was a lot that went into it. The difference is when your screen is finally finished, it fits your entire wall, wall to wall, floor to ceiling. The image that gets projected is pulled right to the borders, right? Like all those things, all those things that make it look fantastic. You can get one of those, like I was saying earlier, you can get a screen off Amazon and mount it. Or I've seen people with bed sheets and a projector and you have all this dead space around it. And the projector is not very bright. And the expectation for how the finished look is really makes a difference. And then of course, yep. there's always the labor, right? Labor is always expensive. And that's just the way it is, right? You want somebody else to do it, you got to pay them to do it. Yeah, but I think it's cool that there are four or five different tiers now that are available to people. Well, and that's and it's one of the reasons why we really wanted to get involved with Shop Indoor Golf and Renee was because we've been operating at this high-end level for so long. Renee's got this amazing DIY business. So our two businesses work out great together. So we can now we can now cross the barrier between the, the DIY and the high end and fit right in the middle where we're, where we're offering installation services and, and semi-custom versus full custom. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool what we're going to be able to do. Once we're all sorted in the same place, we're going to have a showroom in Toronto, which is where I am now. We're going to have a showroom in New Jersey. We're going to have a showroom in Renee's office in Texas. There's going to be a new one opening in Miami and a fifth one in Chicago. So we're going to have a pretty cool layout across North America. It's crazy just to see like the whole thing because I knew Renee when he was first starting it. He was starting it around the time I started my website. We became friendly and I just like watched him and the market yeah. explode in all of the options. I'm looking at some of the Twitter questions we got. A lot of it's about space, to be honest. We, we covered software a bit. Adam and I have GS Pro now. You know, Adam was pushing me to get it for the last year. I installed it. It's pretty awesome. I would say it's I use some of the Foresight software, the native software. I like the it was it was a little burdensome on the the gaming PC that I had and the GS Pro is like super crisp, like the graphic, like they've done a really good job. I'll, I'll give them a a plug. GS Pro is pretty damn sweet. Is that the one you usually go with on most systems? Yep. I like GS Pro and I like E6 for that. One of the things I like about both those systems is that the way you interface with the software is designed for touchscreens as opposed to using a mouse, which means big buttons, right? As opposed to some of the other softwares, which, you know, you're kind of designed with drop down, too many drop down menus and small buttons. I like both those because they come with these big buttons. You want to play golf, you press play golf. You want to select a course and make you scroll through the courses and press it. I love that. The graphics are getting better and better and better and are going to be limited by processing power. So I think in the next five years, you're going to see a huge boost in processing power. And I think there's going to be a lot of new software coming down the pipe. There's a bunch of new tracking systems coming down the pipe. Software is going to follow. I used TGC19 mm-hmm. for a while. I really like that was a really yep. solid option. I was using that on my SkyTrack. And I had a gaming PC. Adam, you recommended it to me. I think it was like 1200 bucks on Amazon. Mm-hmm. So that gaming PC handles GS Pro, no problem. It handled TGC19, yeah. no, no problem. I think those are both awesome software options. What do you think about like the native? Like I know if people have TrackMan, they've got their native software foresight, but it seems like these third-party ones are kind of taken over. 
the third party ones are going to take over as long as everybody allows them to integrate with their tracking system. Well, right? yeah, the so integration, yeah, the integration I mean. is really important, right? Like, so True Golf is coming out with the new Apogee. I think I mentioned it earlier. I think it's coming out next month. I'm not sure about that. Don't quote me. It's coming soon, and it's going to be integrated already with E6 because they're the same company. True Golf and E6 is the same company. TrackMan software is in-house software, right? They own that whole. They bought Perfect Parallel and from years ago and integrated into their software. And honestly. I think their software is the best on the market. They don't allow anybody else to integrate with it. So it's never going to be available to somebody else. As far as I know, I do not have an inside scoop of what's going on in TrackMan, but I know that they're not licensing it out to other groups. They should, because I think they could kill, they could get thousands of subscriptions at 300 bucks a year, do the math. I think they can, if they allowed everybody else to integrate with it, I think they'd kill everybody is what I really think. I'd love their software. I think that the GS Pro is probably the next, my next favorite right now you also yeah. have to think about what the system you have can whether it can integrate with other mm-hmm. softwares it's a big one so, right know, trackman can't trackman can't go with gc pro can it no or can it well trackman still still integrates with e6 i don't know about gc pro but there's a lag when you do that i don't recommend it um if you're going to be a trackman and you're going to not allow other softwares to integrate into your system then your own software better be the best it can possibly be and which is actually the attitude they've taken i think they're at 180 courses now there's no there's no shortage of pga tour venue courses there's no shortage of really high-end worldwide well-known courses so their software is pretty pretty damn amazing if i if i can give them a plug it really is it really is worthwhile if that price tag doesn't scare you. But on the other end, 250 a year for GS Pro is absolutely amazing. It's a great price point. It's oh, yeah. 4K. It's amazing selection of golf courses. Graphics are great. It's a great software. And you can get it for pretty much every other system. Another plug for GS Pro or even TGC19 mm-hmm. is the online community. You could play all these tournaments. I played last winter. I was playing a ton of tournaments on TGC19. They followed the PGA yeah. Tour every week. Adam's doing that now with GS Pro. Um, well, G- I just did my the GS Pro one is called SimulatorGolfTour.com. Yeah, just double check that. There's a ton of different tours on it based on your playing level. Yeah, which is very cool, and I think people interact with each other on Discord servers. I don't find Discord really hard to use, to be honest. But yeah, that's also another consideration with the software. Is like there's a lot of communities around, especially GS Pro and TGC19, like people designing courses. And the online tournaments, which I think is awesome practice. Yeah. You know, we've talked about this in other episodes, how to practice with like launch monitors. If you're playing a simulated course and it's a tournament online, you're putting more and more pressure on each shot. You're changing clubs. Yeah. There's more intent. So I, I actually, that's my preferable way to practice yeah, me too. is to just play rounds. Yeah. And one of the things I like about GS Pro and TGC 2019 is that they allow people to make the, make their own courses. It's open software, so people yes. can design and upload courses. And it's incredible what people do. It really is. <laughs> it really is amazing. I, I, I've yet to really get to know any of these guys that do these course designs. I met one guy and he was pretty cool. But people spend a lot of time, a lot of time building these courses out. Yeah. But you have the benefit there of getting some of these restricted courses. Like I'll say it out loud, uh, Augusta. Which doesn't license their software out to anybody. Fire, what you mean, Firethorn or whatever they call yeah, it? Yeah, right, or uh, Augustus or yeah. whatever. They'll keep it on there until Augustus sends a letter, and then they'll change the name of it to something else. It's fine. It's the one tournament that everybody in the world watches, right? Uh, Augustus. So it's great to it's great to see it 
I love playing it on, on GS pro. I wish they'd, I wish they would just get their head out of their ass and, and license the damn course out to, <laughs> to other companies, but whatever, you know, maybe so one of the it, Augusta members is listening and they can help us yeah. out with that. Yeah. 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 So sorry for insulting you, I guess is what I should be saying to them right now. <laughs> their course is one so amazing. Other... It's really nice. And it's really nice. It's just really nice to, play. I love putting a tournament up on the TV and then playing that course like hanging out on a Sunday and playing the waste management open. I, you know, I love that and playing the same course. It's fantastic. Yeah. That's the other advantage of the GS pro software and the league that they have simulatorgolftour.com is they follow the tour each week. So if they're playing TPC sawgrass, they make that course yeah. and then everybody plays that that week. And they've also a, a big thing is they've got iron specific events. So they have par three tours on there and they have an auto putt tour as well. So some of the devices like an R10 might struggle a little bit with mm-hmm. putting, but they that allows you, if, if you do have an R10, you can enter that league and it yeah, allows you to do it without the need to putt, which is, is very good. I've always found some of those leagues a little bit challenging because you never know how people can tweak their systems, right? To get around, change the elevation to get a little bit further distance. If you're playing on a Unicorn QED, you can play with a regular ball and you don't get the spin rates. They don't get the big left to right swells. Yeah, some people post some ridiculous scores, but overall, ridiculous. like it's, yeah. I view it as especially for people who live in who have longer winters. Like it's a great way if you can do your setup. I did it last year with TGC nineteen, just hitting into my net in my house with the, with the thing up on my TV, and it was it was fun. It yeah. was, I mean, not, it's not as great as what you built for me, James, but I got to play in tournaments, and it gave like some meaning to every shot where I was putting more intent into each shot, and it was very fun. So I think that's also like one people what people should think about with the different softwares is like before you price this out, a lot of people forget about the ongoing cost of the software, right. and they forget about the computer that you're going to need. And I would say like you're going to need some type of gaming computer that's probably going to cost a minimum of $1,000. There's a million of them on Amazon and most of them are fine. But that's another thing to budget that I think a lot of people forget is like the ongoing cost of the software or if you're buying a lifetime license plus the computer because these are like graphic hungry programs. Like they need a decent video card yep. and a decent processor. You, you absolutely do. And it's worth taking the time to invest. And and you'll probably have people tweeting out that they don't agree with me right now, but I don't like any of the laptops. I find a desktop provides that much more robustness. You know, also I like having a touchscreen, so that helps. Just like the projector, right? Think about the, the PC. You're trying to future-proof it a little bit, which means you're going to have to spend a little bit more than your regular desktop PC. I get a lot of people calling me going, you know, I'll just get a computer from the office. No, no, no. You don't want to do that. You want a dedicated system. Dedicated. Yeah. I tried to run mine on the laptop for a while and it it kept glitching out. So I got a PC, probably similar specs even, but because it's a PC, I I don't understand it, but PCs, they work better than laptops. They work better. Yeah. I'm not a techie either. Like I said, you'll have people tweeting arguments about it and I don't, I don't really want to get into it, but I I don't supply laptops for that reason. It just is easier, (laughs) just easier to, to use PCs. 
I was using an iPad for years in my SkyTrack and I finally gave up on it because it kept crashing. Right. Like SkyTrack would update their software right. and then the iPad couldn't handle it anymore. Yeah. So then I just asked Adam, I'm like, what PC do you have? And I just bought that one and then it could handle it. So it's something like the software is going to, as the graphics mm-hmm. get better, like you're just going to need yeah. more and more firepower. Yeah, so and, yeah, the gaming PC is probably the way to and go. And things like lag too. There's nothing worse than a simulator than lag. Oh, it sucks. It's, it's, it's so it's annoying. It's the thing that drives yeah. everybody crazy the most. And a a good solid processor will help with that. Cool. I think we covered most questions we got. I think the t- the two questions were like how much space and how much money. And and so, Jay, I appreciate you being honest with people. Like, yeah, I mean, you could go you can go all the way down. When we talk to customers, I have those conversations. Frankly, on the first conversation, right? You're probably thirty five to forty five thousand dollars for a full custom build simulator. If that's not the money you have, that's not the budget you have. Tell me where you are, and I'll tell you what I can do to fit to help you out at that price point. In terms of size, if you can remember ten high, fifteen wide. 25 10 15 25 it's easy to remember that's a great size room if you can get 10 15 25 bigger great smaller maybe john wanted to know he was quite quite eager with this question for some reason about protection for sky Mm. shots and shank shots yeah (laughs) i've been sky to shot in 15 years who's i did shank one the other day though yeah (laughs) yeah I have hit a few Hazel rockets, though. I'll admit to that. I'll do one. I'll do a few a year in there. Ask how many people have smashed their IXO because they've got under a, a high T with a driver. Jeez. Oh, that is... I'm actually... <laughs> I, I want to get a protection for my GC3 because my kids have been finally hitting <laughs> balls in there. And I am terrified of like one of their drive. I might have to... I saw some people making like a customized metal enclosure for that. But yeah, that would be brutal if you spend the money oh, on that unbelievable. You, you destroy it let me tell you what i think about padding in the ceiling we use canopies so we come down from the ceiling and stretch a stretchy material across to capture balls if you do it right it can look really really sharp what i don't like in the ceilings is i don't like foam padding and people are like why foam padding so easy when you golf you are gonna hit the ceiling Every time you pull out a sand wedge or a pitching wedge or a gap wedge, you're definitely hitting the ceiling, which means that space in front of the screen, you know, four feet wide or six feet wide or whatever it is, is going to take repeated shots. You might not ever hit a side like your walls at the side of your simulator. You might never shank a ball up to the side, but you will definitely hit the ceiling, which means those pads are going to wear out. Let's be clear. You're hitting golf balls that are bouncing around your room. You want to have safety as a primary concern. In my opinion, I've never seen a good ceiling pad that doesn't break down over time and be replaced where you can do it with a canopy and never have to worry about it. So that's why in-home golf uses canopies. I did get a question on Twitter. You put some like nice black pads on the side. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they look sharp. People were wondering, like, is that an in-home golf secret? Where do people buy, like, padding for the sides, for the shank guards? In-home golf does sell them, so not online. So you're welcome to check out the website and send me a note. I'd be happy to quote them for you. We'll even custom size them. But those are hard foam panels wrapped in a vinyl. We finish them like upholstery. Yeah, they're pretty sharp. But yeah, yeah. I would say... As someone who launches it pretty low, my ceiling is maybe someone else will hit the ceiling when they come in my sure. room. But the shank sides are the bigger consideration. Yeah, I mean, it's it, honestly, it's the sand wedges, right? Like you can hit the ceiling with a sandwich in your place. 
if you wanted to. You absolutely could. Not when you're me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm launching it at like 26 degrees or 24. It's not possible. <laughs> the wall panels are, like I said, it's it's vinyl. It's a black vinyl wrapped around a hard foam panel. It's, yeah, it's more of, honestly, it was more of the aesthetic. It gives yeah. like a nice... Yeah, it looks sharp. The black, it looks slick, mm-hmm. but you also want to be safe too. Like I... That's another thing I would tell people is like, even my room, it's not as big as I thought it would be when it was finished. Like when my kids are in there, like I have to tell them walk back towards the end. Like you got to be super careful and like think this through and like swing clubs all over the place. Like you need a massive room to accommodate having like three or four buddies. Over. Yeah. Like and, just and let's face it, it. It's expensive to replace your front teeth you, yes. and your kid's teeth. You don't want that trauma. So no. <laughs> <laughs> you need you need to account for the swing space. In a lot of our designs, we put a, an actual, we stop the turf at a certain point and put a big rubber transition ramp down and use that as kind of a guide for people to to stand behind when somebody else is swinging. In your place, you didn't have that kind of room. I think we talked about that early on. So you just don't have that. Yeah, you didn't no. have the length. Yeah, I have a couch that's on the wall, yeah. like behind the golfer. And like, you could sit on that couch and not get hit, but it's like a pretty close, like I'm not... For safety reasons, I'm not having anyone yeah. sit on that while someone's swinging. Yeah, it's tight. But those things you have to consider and you have to you have to lay it out and yep. think through all those things. And and it's the one one thing I hear a lot from people is, oh, I didn't think about it like that. Okay, well, that's why you're calling me. So it's not that complicated if you lay it out. Graph paper. <laughs> Go back to graph paper and lay it out. Yeah. Adam, did you have any more questions or comments? I'm good. Yeah, I think we answered that. You're good? Yeah, I think we, we cover awesome. everything. James, you have a simulator guide. So your site is inhomegolf.com. Inhomegolf.com. There is, you have a designer guide PDF yep. people can download. It's called, a, it's called the designer's guide. Really, there's a bunch of pictures and galleries in the guide. So there's a number of pages involved, but it has it has a bunch of key points about room size and all those things you, we've kind of covered today. Just the basics, just enough to get you thinking about, you know, what can I do in my space? what's available and you know what I can do. And if you call me and talk to me or any of my sales guys, that's the conversation we're going to have is tell me about your space. Tell me about the functionality of your room. You know, are you going to be watching movies? Cause that changes the, that changes some of the equipment you want to put in, right? Maybe you want to put in a surround sound speakers and all that other stuff. Is there going to be a bar? Are you going to have your buddies over or is it just you getting up in the morning and grinding that seven iron? Cause those, those are sometimes those are different installations. And it informs the conversation about what technology we want to talk to you about. Do you need to have TrackMan or Quad or something else sufficient, which it is for just about everybody else? Yeah, I'm out. I'll just tell people, like, just to, to vouch for James, like, we went back and forth for a while. Like, Mike, who works with you, came out to my house just to measure everything and make sure everything was properly done. Um, there was a lot of back and forth. We changed the plans and the videos you were doing with the 3D images. I'll post to some of this stuff on the show notes. And I did a Twitter thread kind of showing the process. So I'll, yeah. I'll post that on there and you can see the pics. But yeah, no, I was happy. I, that's why I want to get you on here because you did the install. I'm super happy with it. Yeah. It's awesome. It was like my dream. I had kind of like the budget thing going for years. And then, you know, we, we upped it a bit. So yeah, you can check out inhomegolf.com. Now you have the partnership with the Indoor Golf Shop. You can check shopindoorgolf.com. They have the enclosures. They worked with us in the past. They're super helpful for the DIY crowd as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm glad you guys got together because it's two really good vendors. 
But yeah, anything else that's the easiest way for everyone to get in touch? Yeah, with you? you know, the designers guy's great. I mean, just you got to throw in your email so that we'll probably send you a bunch of automated uh, follow ups, but that's the way it works. Yeah, check it out. And like you said, we do that consultation with everybody and we'll go back and forth with you to make sure that what we're building, what we're building for you is exactly what you want. That's, that's our approach. Where do they get that guide again? It's at inhomegolf.com. You'll see it. It's on every page. There's a little link, the designer's guide. We also have a virtual walkthrough of our showroom in Toronto, which is pretty cool. It's worth taking a look and just walking through our showroom on, the, on that. It's pretty neat. We took an old golf cart, cut it in half, and made it a bag stand. You can take a look at that in there. It's a really neat accoutrement <laughs> to the ultimate man cave. <laughs> Well, cool. We appreciate your time, your expertise. Again, not everyone's going to be able to work with you. It is, yeah, it's a lot of money, but you guys do an awesome job. You do custom work. There's a lot of labor involved and the components are expensive, but we tried to share different levels that I think they're available for everyone now. It's just, I think the best thing, we always talk Mm -hmm. about managing expectations on this show. You just got to know what you're getting, the components, how long they're going to last, how accurate they're going to be. I had the low budget, low mid budget thing for years. I was happy with it and I upgraded it. I'm even happier with it. So it all depends, you know, obviously with the budget and the the sizing considerations. So yeah, everyone can check out inhomegolf.com. I'm sure you're going to get inundated with Great. questions now. So beware of the sweet spot listeners. We have an <laughs> engaged audience here who we, we love and appreciate. You can also email me too. I'm happy to give out my actual email. It's J- James. Are you, you're going to do yeah. that? Oh boy. Go, well, oh boy. Now it's you're going to get James it. at inhomegolf.com. It's really easy. Give me a day or so to get back to you, but I'll do my best. All right, cool. We appreciate all of the advice. And I'll, I'll as I said, I'll put some links in the show notes of, of my build <clears> and what it looked like. Super happy with it. And Hopefully, it'll get my kids golfing now. They're a little interested. Awesome. Adam, where can everyone find you? AdamYoungGolf.com or people listening to this are probably avid practices. So you can get the book on Amazon, the practice manual, the ultimate guide for golfers. And John, where can people find you and your products? You can find me, my book, The Four Foundations of Golf, also on Amazon, perched nicely next to Am. Adams in the uh, the bestseller category still we're still we're still rocking it up there and then you can always check me out on my site practical-golf.com appreciate everyone tuning in your feedback your questions and we will see you next time with a new episode thanks a lot guys